This is Author Talk, presented by Author House, the leading provider of services to help authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world. Author Talk is a show about new books and the authors who wrote them. It's an opportunity for prospective readers to hear directly from the writers, to hear what inspired them to write and publish, and to hear all the inside details about their books. Here is Author Talk with host Steve Jorgensen. The title of the book, The Mystery of Table Mountain, book one of a trilogy, and the author, William Post. And William joins us now on Author Talk. Hello, William. Hello, Steve. How are you? Good to have you with us. Now, I'm going to read just a few things that you've written about your book to kind of set the stage, to give us a a general overview. You say, this is a warm story about a young man framed by his uncle, aunt, and her brother for a murder. He escapes out west where he has daring escapes, romances, and meets many characters who enhance the story. It's a story about a young college boy and his struggle to stay alive in an unfamiliar world. It is not a true western, but has many of its features of action and romance threaded through its fiber. So... The mystery of Table Mountain, everybody says that, boy, they wish Table Mountain was a real place. It sounds like a great place to live, right? Yes. (laughs) So why did you write it? Steve, I dreamed the story. It was so vivid to me that I told it to my sister the next morning, and she suggested that I write it. Now, Steve, I'm a civil engineer, and we have pragmatic minds, so this took me into a new world where People have subjunctive minds, and I loved it. I loved it so much I've written nine other books. Nine other books about, uh, of course, uh, this this trilogy has James Raymond as the main character. Did James Raymond, was he in any of your other books? Oh, no, just the three books. Okay. Uh, the three books, The Mystery of Table Mountain, and then your uh, the next one will be The Miracle, and then A Call to Duty, right? That's That's correct. Okay, well... Tell us about, first of all, tell us about Table Mountain, why it's such a great place. Well, uh, I suppose Table Mountain in itself is something that that should be highlighted. It is a gigantic mountain, and it has vertical walls of 300 to 500 feet and has no access to the top. It's a mile in diameter and has very interesting features on the top. It does have one flaw, though, but you'll have to read the book to find that out. <laughs> one big flaw from a pragmatic <laughs> civil engineer, right? <laughs> yeah. It must have something to do with engineering. <laughs> you don't have to answer that. <laughs> okay, well, tell us about James Raymond. Now, he is... This main character, and he... Yes, he's a college student, a young college student at uh, Harvard College. And uh, his father is murdered, and he goes home. And uh, that's where the story begins. Well, what kind of a, of a young guy is this? Well, like I say, he's a young, intelligent uh, junior in college. And... Uh, is he Very the, sharp mind. Okay, is he the type of guy that uh, people would say, wow, he could be a murderer? Oh, I don't think so, if you know him. But there was three eyewitnesses to the murders that they say there's. <laughs> so 
he's more or less framed. Okay, so he's framed for the murder of his father. No, he murderer of his father. Oh, the murderer of his father. Oh, I okay. They say he did it out of revenge. Did it out of revenge. Okay. Okay, so he escapes out to Table Mountain? Yes, he does, but there's uh, two or three stops in between. <laughs> yes, we have to uh, see. go through St. Louis, I guess. Yes, uh, well, let's see. Uh, he, it starts in Actually, it starts in uh, Richmond, Virginia, where they have where his folks have a plantation, and that's where the murder uh, uh, occurs to his father, and uh, then he's framed there. And then he moved, when he takes flight, he goes to Pittsburgh, where his roommate lives, to have his father help him, and then he moves on to St. Louis, where he meets uh, his. A uh, great friend throughout the book, uh, Billy Billy Ryan, but at the time called Billy Two Shirts, and then he moves on from there to, out west with the wagon train. So his family believes he's murdered his father. No, it, there is no family left. <laughs> but you could read that in the book. Okay, uh, all right. I will. We'll say. Uh, well, go ahead. Well, you were, you you uh, stated that he was framed by his uncle and his aunt and his brother, and her brother. Yes. Okay. And her brother. All right. Well, but that's the only family he has left. Okay. Now, of course, when family does stuff like that, boy, there's got to be money somewhere. Oh yeah. Well, <laughs> his father owns a large export import business, and they also own that uh, plantation, which is a very large plantation. Okay, so there's some uh, greed here and all kinds of immoral things going on. Now, um, Billy Ryan, now, is he an Indian? Billy Ryan is uh, half Spanish. He has a very interesting story, which uh, is one chapter of the book. Uh, I devote a whole chapter to him. well, tell us his a little bit about it. Now, let me tell you this. Okay. His character is derived from a true story about an ancestor of a friend of mine, which involved the famous gunman Sam Bass. I think Western readers will right. really like this chapter. Okay. All right. So, his best friend, uh, James's best friend, Billy Ryan, then helps him along the way, and does he help him get out to Table Mountain? Yes, he does. Uh, he had worked on a ranch uh, near uh, Big Rock, which is uh, near Table Mountain, and uh, James educates him. They live two years together, and he educates him enough to get him into college, and he goes one way, and James goes the other to the ranch because they're on to him again. He has His uncle is constantly on to him throughout the book. Now, who's Rosa Maria? Rosa Marie de Trois. She was born in Mexico, and uh, uh, about the time of Maximilian, and her mother was married to a uh, one of the guard of Maximilian. And when he was executed, uh, he he departed. So her uncle asked her to come out and live on his ranch in, near the Sierra Madres. And uh, the Indians got her. Uh, they came and burned the ranch and. 
she has quite a story in herself. There's a chapter devoted to her. And uh, James pulls off a uh, very daring rescue of her, which is very interesting. And there's also some kind of a war going on, a range war. What's that about? Well, while James is working on the ranch, the, there's sheepmen in the area and there's cattlemen. And they get into it. And they come and to the Murphy Ranch where he works, and uh, there's a large war that occurs there. Now, the title of the book says The Mystery of Table Mountain, but you also mention that there is the secret of Table Mountain. Yep, that is the mystery. That is the mystery, the secret, huh? Okay. The secret the secret of Table Mountain is the mystery. It could have been called the secret of Table Mountain, but I just thought mystery would sound better. So there's a lot of twists and turns in this? <laughs> Definitely. You've heard a lot already. <laughs> Any other characters that are, you know, allies to Raymond James or antagonists? Well, of course, there's uh, the antagonist, his uncle, and uh, uh, his brother-in-law, Gerald Billings. Uh, Regis Collender is his uncle, and Gerald Billings is the other thing, and that is the brother-in-law, and they're constantly after him because they want to inherit this, and... They can't do it because he's hadn't been convicted and still owns the place. So you feel that this this mystery, this fast action packed mystery, would appeal to most all readers. Yeah, I think it'll it'll appeal to all adults. Uh, it has action that will appeal to men and romantic and poignant scenes that will stir the emotions of women. I think. So there is. A uh, the romance between James Raymond James and Rosa Maria. No. Oh no. Okay. <laughs> they 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 like each other a lot, but that's not who he marries. He marries the rancher's daughter, Rachel. <laughs> but I don't want to give the book away. No, that's fine. That's fine. I understand. What would you feel was the most challenging thing about writing this story? <laughs> most challenging about it writing anything is uh editing it <laughs> and of course there's the research that makes sure of the historical facts but editing is primarily the largest challenge why did you choose the years 1870 to 1875 in which to uh the setting for this story well i didn't really choose the setting it chose me <laughs> and it I could tell in my dream that it was a Western, and Westerns are about that era. You know, there was only 50 years of the cowboy, and it ranged from about 19, 1850 to about 1900. That was the end of it. William, now, James Raymond really had a struggle one winter, didn't he? Yes, he did. Uh, he was caught in the Rocky Mountains uh, and snowed in. Well, that must have... Is, is this part of getting out to Table Mountain, or was it just part of being in, at the at Table Mountain, living there? He was coming back to Table Mountain, and he meets an interesting friend, uh, and they rescue... They, again, get into an Indian fight, and he and a woman is left behind, and they have to spend the winter in a uh, mountain cabin. And... Uh, 
I kind of like this part. It's an inner war between uh, James's animal instincts and his moral fiber. Uh, you'll just have to read the book to find out which one out. <laughs> now, why did you write this in the first person? I think it gives, uh, you can feel James's uh, emotions a lot more. And it just gave me a better feeling to do it that way than to write it in third person. Now, the second book to this that called The Miracle is also written in the first person, but the third book isn't. So the character of James Raymond and uh, Table Mountain moves through The Miracle in A Call to Duty, this, the third book of the trilogy? Yes. Well, we look forward to those, definitely. Now, you have a website. Yes, my website is William Post. No, excuse me. Uh, novels by William com, and we have we can learn more there about the book and order the book there. That's correct. Where else can we order the book? Uh, any place, nearly uh, Barnes and Noble, uh, Amazon. You can uh, get it from Author House Publishing House. That's probably the uh, through my website. I think goes through Author House, and I think that's the cheaper way of going. Because some of these uh, Barnes and Noble and Amazon, they had their bid onto it. Any closing thoughts, William, about your book? No, I enjoyed writing it, and I just hope that uh, people enjoy reading it. I've had numerous people read it already and making their comments on it. And that's was one person said. Uh, where table? Ask the question where Table Mountain was located, and, and then you just pointed to your head and. She was disappointed. Yeah, that was my nephew. <laughs> that was my uh, nephew's wife. Uh, she asked me where Table Mountain was, and when I pointed to my head, she was sorely disappointed because she wanted to go there. She thought it was good. I think most readers will feel the same way. It's a unique place. Well, thank you, William. Thank you for being on Author Talk. Okay, thank you, Steve. It was a pleasure. That was William Post. He is the author of his book, The Mystery of Table Mountain, book one of a trilogy. You're listening to Author Talk. We'll be back right after these messages. Hey, you living the dream like Nina and Cindy? Sweet dreams are made of the Were you shocked by the Chuck E. Cheese calamities, diaper dilemmas, and major mom minivan mishaps? Then get ready to share it with Living the Dream Moms with Nina Fry and Cindy Schmitzer, Thursday mornings at 10, 9 a.m. Central on Toginet. And as Nina and Cindy say, if you're thinking it, we're saying it. It's your chance to discuss, share, and learn from two moms who have been there, done that, and yes, they have the t-shirts. And they're for sale at ltdchix.com. Living the Dream Moms is all about all things moms have to deal with daily. Nina and Cindy are two ordinary frazzled moms who admit when they need help and do their best to research and discuss topics that are not always talked about. Living the Dream Moms are just two real women who are discussing the trials and tribulations and triumphs of everyday mom lives. You are not alone. It's Living the Dream Moms with Nina Fry and Cindy Schmitzer. Thursday mornings at 10 Eastern, 9 a.m. Central on toginet.com. What's your story? Are you living it? Well, you could be. It's What's Your Story with Hillary Bilbrey. Friday mornings at 10 Eastern, 9 a.m. Central on toginet.com. Her passion is helping others discover, create, and live their personal brands. 
Yep, you heard me. You have a brand. No different than Coke, Pepsi, or Nike. You are a walking, talking, living, breathing brand. You're not a logo. You're not a tagline. The choices you make become the path you take. This is your brand. Now, live your story. Your brand is not just what you say it is. It's also what others say it is. So what are you communicating? And how can you create an authentic brand? We'll take on these challenges with What's Your Story? Every week, Hillary will feature teens, moms, and organizations that are learning and living their story. Now, her passion is to help others discover, create, and live their personal brands. To find out more, go to inspiredbyfamily.com. It's What's Your Story with Hillary Bilbrey. Friday mornings at 10 Eastern, 9 a.m. Central on toginet.com. Welcome back to Author Talk, brought to you by Author House. Helping authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world. The title of the book, In Shame and in Honor. And the author is Paul Sheehan. And Paul joins us now on Author Talk. Hello, Paul. Hello, Steve. How are you? Well, it's great to have you here because you're going to take us on a journey into history. Your book, In Shame and in Honor, focuses on the Civil War. And I'm going to read a few of your ideas about the uh, general overview of your book. You say, how would you have reacted in battle where the close proximity of the battle lines allows you to see those you must kill in order to survive? Where does right and wrong begin and end in wartime? You also say it is different, your book, in that it does not focus just on war, but in the secret war that is fought as war progresses, as well as it allows us to see the lives of a number of different characters and their relationships with other characters found in the book. So this is obviously complex because... War has its horrific side to it, and it has an incredible impact on people. It's often glorified war, and of course war, in, you know, we like to say we want to be on the right side of the war, but war is hell, as they say. But war has real people in it, and you, see, you really focus on the people and how it affects them. Very much so. I, you know, war, and, and you can see this in the... Uh, series the pacific that's uh, on television right now uh that they're showing and they focus very much on on just on three characters rather than just on the fighting itself and i think that's what needs to be done in any good novel about the war that we take characters bring them to life uh show their ability to change during the war because that's what war will do uh, it brings out both the good and the bad in in uh, in different soldiers, and I did that uh, during the the writing of this book. Tried to make sure that these people would would be real characters with real emotions and real attachments to people around them. Now you have a very a very in-depth background in history because you've been teaching it for some 32 years and a lot of those years in American history. Well, the American history uh, started off, uh, I inherited that from another teacher and started off uh, uh, a journey that I'd never have dreamed would would take. Uh, but I find when you're the mouse, as Canada is, and you're living next to the elephant, you want to know as much as you possibly can about the elephant. 
and that's one reason why, I, that's the way I used to explain it to students. Why should we study American history and particularly focus on the Civil War? The Civil War itself is a, a, a life-changing moment in American history. It may have taken five years to fight, but one of the classic lines about that war is that before the war, the states were called that these are the United States of America, and after the war, it's this is the United States of America. And once and for all, Americans put to death any notion of separation. You may still have regional uh, characteristics, but the idea of separation is completely gone. And you believe in realism so much that as a teacher, you've had your students reenact battles and different aspects of, of a war. So this is very, very detailed. Well, it is because, uh, again, this is the, the, the history background I have. I tried to bring out in this book not just people, but what war meant on an everyday level. For example, uh, what was it like at an execution of a, uh, a prisoner or a, a criminal of someone who had been caught either escaping or something else? In the book, it takes the form of, of a, mur a supposed murderer who, in fact, is innocent. Uh, looking at that, looking at simply how they went about building their winter quarters, which was a job in itself, uh, uh, particularly if they were in the north, um, uh, hospitals, uh, the conditions for hospitals were unimaginable. Uh, we can't fathom them. Statistically, it said, uh, argued that probably about 60% of those who died, died from wounds uh, while in hospitals because they know so, knew so little about uh, sterilization and any surgical techniques that could bring soldiers back to some kind of living condition. Uh, one a little fact that's very often overlooked is that the mini ball, as it was used and made of lead, as it was used in the Civil War, is far more deadly than the steel casings we use today. These things, it's soft and it would just shatter when it would hit bone. It made the surgeon's job even more miserable in trying to bring life back to soldiers. Uh, so that just little things like that make us uh, appreciate the horrific nature of this war. The main character is Ben Halliday. Now, tell us about Ben. Well, Ben's interesting because if you were to ask me who my favorite uh, character is, it isn't Ben. Ben is your, your bit of your superhero, your good guy. I mean, he Ben just doesn't put a foot down wrong. Uh, and he's there to tie a lot of the story together, and that's the way I use him uh, as a bit of a, a faithful dog to to serve my nature of wanting to make parts of the story tie in together. It's Ben who is promoted. It's Ben who uh, is taken and drilled in how to be a spy. Uh, so he brings together different parts of of the story. It's Ben who uh, winds up uh, having a relationship with uh, Rob, uh, the the bad guy in the story, uh, winds up having a relationship with his sister. So the romantic interests are fulfilled by Ben. Uh, 
the military interests are fulfilled by Ben. Uh, the story itself, the storyline, is fed by Ben. So he is uh, the prime mover and shaker in the book. But if you had to look at characters, I even look at it still uh, in a kind of an intriguing way. I've made Rob into the absolute pex bad boy. Uh, he is without scruples, without honor. Uh, he's a spy. He's a double spy. He would steal a dime from his mother if she was dying. But even with all of that, he has a real crush on a character named Rose Green. And he is very, for the first time in his life, honorable in the treatment of a female. And there's just this glimmer of, of hope in his character that something good will evolve. So Rob has always interested me. The other area characters interested me are Addie and Hal. Uh, you have to read the at least half the book to find out what happens with them because they are constantly at battle with each other, and Addie is actually a female disguised as a male. And this was not unusual during the Civil War. Uh, it was not unknown that females would join up. And... Uh, their conflict as it goes on, but it does come to uh, a resolution uh, when they're stationed at Corinth. And then Rob, the bad boy, gets involved in the plot and uh, winds up killing Addie and putting all the blame on Hal. Uh, this is a, a, a sort of a, uh, a side theme or side plot in the story but I found it really interesting, particularly in their characters and how they, in fact, liked each other. The meaning of honor seems to be an important part of your plot. When you take the, the book and you look at the beginning of it, uh, it, it is very much focused on, on the term of the word honor. And you'll see Confederate soldiers coming together with Union soldiers requesting uh, use of the battlefield to... Uh, gather up their dead, and you'll see the the battles that take place uh, simply out in the quotes in the country. Uh, as the war progresses, the nature of battle changes, and this is what we have to come to realize. And when I did the section on Petersburg, uh, this starts to show up. We're now taking on trench warfare as the way of delivering war to another enemy. Uh, we're looking at the uh, Sherman's, uh, part of Sherman's attack on Atlanta and how raising the, the enemy to the ground, burning his houses, burning everything he can use to uh, wage war is taken away from him. And so this is what I tried to, to go for in terms of theme was how war and honor is, is lost as you progress through the war. You're even getting a different type of soldier. The first soldiers signed up because they believed it to be an honorable thing to do, the right thing to do for your nation. Well, by the time you get to the latter stages of the war, you're looking at essentially conscripts who have come not to fight war so much as to get the money that was promised them for signing up, uh, and it's a different type of soldier that you encounter in the latter stages of the war. 
You are very realistic in your battle scenes. Very much so, uh, particularly in the. Uh, I, I chose this battle uh, a because I had not read tremendous volumes about it. I did by the end of the time I was finished with it, but the Battle of, of Shiloh. Shiloh was the first major battle in the war, and it has something like over the two-day period, twenty-five thousand casualties, and this was unheard of. This was just foreign to everything that had gone on up to this point. Uh, and I tried to do my research and to make those scenes involved. Uh, for example, I focus on a battle called the Hornet's Nest and bring my characters into that particular battle, uh, but not at the same time to alter the outcome of the particular battle. So I tried to stay to to quotes the textbook. And the same goes for the battle at Petersburg, the trench warfare, uh, the uh, explosion of the, uh, the, the mine that uh, the Union tried to use against Confederates. Uh, I try to stick with these, those two particularly as, as good examples of how war has changed. Do the atrocities of war harden Ben anywhere? He questions, Ben's caught in a trap, and this is not an unusual trap. He goes, uh, he's told by his general to take a rest because he's burnt out fighting, and he goes home. The only problem when he goes home is, home is no longer home to him. He's, he's neither, he's caught between two forces, the forces of war and the, the natural instincts to be drawn to your home. He doesn't, uh, he doesn't handle it well and in fact finds himself saying, look, Mom and Dad, I've got to go back to my, to my men. He's, he's now got a new family that he must fight for. And so in him, honor is still there. Uh, if you take Rob, dishonor is, is really what he brings to the story and in terms of all the unscrupulous activities in which he's involved. So it kind of offers a contrast between the two characters to stress what, in fact, makes for an honorable man. And, of course, war makes a person make very, very difficult decisions. Well, uh, you're right. Uh, ben has to, Ben's decision-making is driven by a loyalty to uh, not only to the cause, to the Union, but to his general, uh, General Homer Ames. And he finds the decision-making process fairly easy. Uh, but after some of the things he sees on the battlefield, he, he does question whether there's any honor left in war because it's so, blood, so bloodthirsty. Uh, and that, this develops as the, as the novel goes on. How many were killed in the Civil War? Somewhere around 600,000. 600,000, my goodness. Uh, of which 60% died after they had either been shot. Uh, the statistics are interesting. Uh, what they can make out is that the greatest percentage were killed by uh, a mini ball. Uh, and that relatively few, we see in classic movies, the charge and the bayonet charge. 
relatively few of the wounds and deaths that the doctors found had anything to do with uh, bayonet uh, wounds. Uh, it's the mini-ball that seems to be the real enemy of the doctors serving at the front. Paul, tell us how to get your book. Oh, that's not a problem. Uh, you can email me at shehat, that's S-H-E-A-H-A-T, at rogers.com, and drop me a note and say, yes, I would be interested in uh, either the soft cover or the hardcover version of, of that book. People. And I, I can send it wherever you happen to be. And people can order it directly from Author House as well, I'm sure. They can, they, they can directly order from Author House. Um, I, I have copies here, but certainly Author House uh, will fulfill their needs. And this is uh, the first with a sequel to follow? I'm hoping. Uh, right now I'm immersed in doing things related to uh, this book. Uh, so I've, I've done some background reading on a sequel, but it's, it's like this book. It'll take years in the, in the making. Uh, so I hope to get around to it. Paul, thank you for being on Author Talk. You're welcome. That was Paul Sheehan. He is the author of his book, In Shame and in Honor. You're listening to Author Talk. We'll be back right after these messages. If you're not doing what you love, you're wasting your time. So let's rock your genius with Amber Singleton Revere. Join Amber Friday evenings at 8, 7 Central, part of the Her Insight Network on Toginet.com. Rock Your Genius is about helping you discover and rock your own unique genius. By doing so, you'll find greater contentment and success. Through inspiration and conversations with other entrepreneurs and business owners from around the world, we'll show you how to discover what it takes to create a life and business by design rather than default. Check out Amber's websites and businesses at upstartsmart.com and givebackproject.com and, of course, rockyourgenius.com. Her main mission in business is helping entrepreneurs and small business owners learn to survive and thrive through their work. And it all starts with being the truest and best version of yourself and then allowing that to shine through your business. So jump in. It's time to rock your genius with Amber Singleton Revere. Friday evenings at 8, 7 Central, part of the Her Insight Network on toginet.com. So where were you in the 1970s? Well, this Saturday morning, we're going to flash back to the 70s as we count down the classic hits with the American Rock and Roll Countdown. You'll hear news and information and stories about the artist and what was going on during the specific week that we highlight. So be sure to join us at 9 o'clock Eastern Standard Time this Saturday on Toginet for the American Rock and Roll Countdown. The American Rock and Roll Countdown on Toginet. Welcome back to Author Talk, brought to you by Author House, helping authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world. The title of the book, Petey's Tale, a story of survival inspired by actual events. This is a children's story, and the author is Deborah Bruno, and Deborah joins us now on Author Talk. Hello, Deborah. Hello, Steve. How are you today? 
I'm going to read your introduction. Uh, You have written this uh, just as an overview for the story. You say, this is a heartwarming story based in part on actual events of a lost dog trying to find his way home. The story is one of determination, love, survival, and lessons learned. Well, there's certainly a lot of reasons to write a children's story, Deborah. Why did you write this one? Well, Steve, I was just so inspired by uh, my little dog, Petey, um, and the story that I was told about how he was found as a stray on the streets of uh, uh, Northern California. And um, I just wanted to share the story in the form of a children's book, and uh, as part of that, to deliver a couple of messages to children's children and their parents alike. So you have a message to children that uh, is pretty straightforward about how they need to act toward their parents. Oh, yes. Yeah, first, um, first I, I just hope that the children uh, who have access to it really, really love it and, and read it over and over again. Uh, but as, uh, as they hear the story, uh, the message is very loud and clear that uh, you really should be obe- obeying your parents and... Um, if you want to vo- avoid going through the troubles that Petey went through in this little story, uh, you better stay close to home and listen to your mom and dad. Actually, I, I think for adults, it, it might also underscore uh, the need to uh, rescue animals as opposed to purchasing animals. There are a wonderful v- variety of animals available for adoption in, in, in all cities. What age group of children are we talking about for, for this book? Well, it, it, it's um, still under discussion, but we're we're nailing down uh, six, seven, and eight-year-olds that really get uh, attached to the story, attached to the dog, and really understand uh, what what it's all about. We've read it to five-year-olds as well, and they seem to be in, engaged in in the story uh, as well. And it also rhymes. Yeah, it's a little whimsical rhyme. Um, I, I, from my own experience, I um, have found that children get more engaged when, uh, when they when they can along with the story. So, so that's why I chose to do the rhyming. Yeah, so I'll share a little bit of this. Uh, this is my story. It's called Petey's Tale. I knew I should tell it when I was in jail. Well, not quite a jail, more like a cage. I'll tell you my story when you turn the page. <laughs> so it's a real cute yeah. rhyme, and it rhymes. Yep, and children like rhyme. They they are you know they're drawn toward rhyme. Exactly, and and so that was the uh, the reason for putting it together the way I did. Um, yeah, I've been told with children's books too. You've got to come right out of the gate and grab their attention, and so I think I've managed to accomplish that. And it's also illustrated very colorfully. Uh, some great illustrations. Yes, the illustrator did a fabulous, fabulous job. Uh, she absolutely nailed Petey <laughs> and his expressions, and uh, I was very, very pleased with how how the illustrations uh, came 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 about in their final form. They're really just fabulous. I think uh, any kid is kind of love looking at these pictures. Yeah, what kind of dog is Petey? Is a cute, cute dog. He is a cute dog. Uh, what kind of dog? Well, 
They tell me he's a um, a multi generational mutt. <laughs> <laughs> but he's got a little ter- <laughs> what is it a terrier look? Little terrier? Or? He, yes, he does. He does have some border terrier and uh, and dachshund. Oh, well. okay, dachshund as well. Now you yeah. also you you also have a website. Yes, I do. Um, my website is called poundtails.com. And uh, anyone who's interested can either go to poundtails.com or, or authorhouse.com and purchase a copy. Now, Pound Tales is with an S. It sounds like there's going to be some more tales. <laughs> yes, there is another one, as a matter of fact, uh, that, that I've written. And uh, it has not been published yet, but um, we're going to put that in the coming soon category. Uh, that will be called Pete to the Rescue. Uh, and again, we're going to really hone in on uh, the importance of animal rescue. Pound Tails. Pound Tails. P-O-U-N-D-T-A-L-E-S. Very good, yes. We wanted to make sure people knew how to spell it. Here's another little part of the story. When I awoke, I started to roam, turning left, then right, just looking for home. It was then he caught me, the dog catcher did. He struggled to put me in his truck with a lid. <laughs> very cute. Very, very well done. You, you talk about this being a story of determination, love, survival, and lessons learned. Yes, yes, I do. Um, you know, when I adopted Petey uh, a couple of years back, I arrived at the uh, animal shelter, and uh, after having seen him on a local TV, uh, just as the story goes, a lot of truth of this story. Um, and uh, they had told me that Petey had been picked up uh, about 30 days prior and uh, had not been put up for adoption because he was uh, extremely malnourished. They had estimated him to be astray for approximately 30 days. And so uh, I tried to imagine this tiny little dog uh, running around on the streets and, and, and surviving, you know, managed to survive. And um, he got lucky the day they picked him up and brought him to the uh, to the uh, rescue center, and I got lucky the day I happened to be watching TV and saw his ad for adoption. That must have been quite a sight when you saw him on TV. <laughs> I, I said, that's, that's a dog for me. <laughs> and uh, I got in my car and I drove about... 90 minutes away and uh, got to the rescue center and found out he had been uh, adopted by somebody else, but that she needed uh, permission from her husband before she could go forward with the adoption. And she did not get that permission. Oh, my goodness. She went through some trauma, didn't she? Some trauma. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But you know what, Steve? It was meant to be. We were meant (laughs) to be together. so. So you knew right away when you saw him on TV. That's Petey. That's mine. Yeah, that's my dog. I got to go get him. <laughs> oh my goodness! Yeah. Well, again, yeah. everyone, you can go to poundtails dot com. That's Deborah's website, and learn all about Petey's tail, and also uh, maybe some little bit of information about some upcoming stories as well. There is that true? Yes, that's true. Um, as I said, I've got another. Uh, a book written called Peep to the Rescue, and uh, that'll be coming out um, within the next few months. Sounds like Pete could do a lot of things, couldn't he? 
Yes, he sure could. <laughs> <laughs> Most importantly, he's a joy. He's just a joy. Well, Deborah, how do we get your book? Well, you can get my book uh, by going to my website, uh, or you can go to the authorhouse.com website. You can go to uh, barnesandnoble.com, borders.com, and amazon.com. So it's widely distributed, and uh, it is print-on-demand. So take about seven to ten days for them to print the book after you place your order, uh, and then you will receive it in the mail. Well, thank you very much, Deborah, for being on Author Talk. It's been my pleasure, and thank you for having me. That was Deborah Bruno. She is the author of her children's book, Petey's Tale, a story of survival inspired by actual events. <laughs>